Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. Today is February the 7th. It's good to be here today. And before we get started, I have a few thoughts about internet marketing, digital marketing, and the sales space in general that I've been in for a long time. One of the things I've noticed over the past few months is that an increasing number of people, I would just say many people make it a blanket statement, who started around the same time I did, some a little before, some a few years after, some right around the same time, are starting to leave this space. Now, digital marketing is arguably one of the most oversaturated marketplaces out there today. There's such a thing as a saturated marketplace, but I also believe there's such a thing as an oversaturated marketplace. And maybe you feel the same way about yours. If someone asks you the question, is your niche or your market saturated with basically the same kinds or the same types of information, same types of competitors, similar products and services? And if that's the case, what can you do about it? That's going to be the subject of today's episode. We're going to jump into it in just a minute. Before we get started, let me just say that today's episode is brought to you, as always, by the Digital Strategist Newsletter. This is volume two of my monthly newsletter. It's available right now for free at jimsnewsletter.com and one-to-many-system.com. And this is the home of my newly launched coaching program, and the program is designed to help you build a complete marketing and sales system for your business. Emphasis here on the word complete, because this also includes a new conversion-focused website, along with a built-in lead generation system, everything that you need from A to Z to market successfully or more successfully with your online business. The whole program is available right now at one-to-many-system.com. All right, so getting back to this topic of being in a crowded niche or being in a marketplace that's not just saturated but oversaturated, I noticed over the past few years there were more people getting out of the marketing niche. And a good percentage of the individuals that I noticed, some I know personally, have been in this space since some of them the late 1990s, some the early 2000s, some you know around 2005. And I've noticed enough of this now where I can somewhat confidently say it appears to be a trend. One of the things about data is, is that when something is happening now, when something starts, it's not going to show up in the data until a little further down the road. So I, I would say we're at that point right now that if someone was collecting this kind of data, meaning how many people who once had established successful businesses in certain marketplaces are getting out of those marketplaces because the times have changed. A lot has changed, actually, right? Even within the last three years from 2020 going forward, quite a bit has changed. So, But these individuals, they did have certain things in common. And some of those things I've talked about before on these podcast episodes, But I want to get into some of this because I think there's a few lessons here. I know there was for me, so I hope there is also for you. A lot of the people that are making their exodus as we speak were primarily for, I would say, a better part of at least a decade. Again, these are established businesses or were established because some of them are 
are shutting down, they primarily sold information-based products. And that would include products like PDFs and courses. And there were all different types of price points from low to high. But their primary product would be information. And the more I looked at this, I would have to say I was surprised because I thought to myself, people that are this experienced, again, they've been in business for at least a decade, you would think that they would be able to adjust to the changing times instead of just calling it a day. Now, I do know that there have been times where all of us, for whatever reason, maybe we're just tired out, we're doing it too long, maybe we're bored with it, maybe there's too much stress. There can be a whole bunch of reasons why someone decides to part ways with a particular business a way of doing business or a business model. But these are individuals, again, that they've been at it for a while. So yeah, maybe burnout does have a little bit of something to do with it. But I did notice a few things that did stand out to me that these different people had in common. And these aren't things that I want to just point at and say, don't do, don't make these mistakes. But yeah, in another way, I look at what they've done and I think to myself, were these mistakes? And could these problems have been overcome? Now, I don't know any of these individuals personally well enough, except for maybe one, to send them an inbox message asking, hey, what happened? What went wrong? But you know when sites get abandoned and products get abandoned, it's not because business is booming. You know when you see a site abandoned and you do a little bit of digging, you find out the person has started a completely different business and they're in a completely different market. They're not there because business was so good in the place that they left, the place that they came from. You know when you see a $5,000 system on sale for $50 or a $1,000 system on sale for $25, it's not because business is booming. Now, of course, there are $25 products, there are $50 products, but I'm not talking about those. One of the first things that I tend to look at comes down to supply and demand. Because those are always going to be two key factors that can impact the price and the prices of items in any marketplace. So when we're looking at information-based products, when we have, at one point, we had a super high demand for these kinds of products. And we're talking about the late 1990s going all the way through to about 2008. There was a super high demand for information. And not that there's not a high demand for information today but it's available in so many forms in so many different places. So we may have a demand, but we also have a very high supply. We may also have an oversupply at this point, especially when we're talking about some general kinds of information. So we could break marketing down into general topics. Like we could break it down into writing sales copy or email marketing or you know basic search engine optimization. And we can look at any one of these topics and we can see that there's just a huge amount of information that's available. And if you look at the price point over the course of the last decade, we can see that, especially since we hit 2020, that the price tags associated with this kind of information has been, I would say, steadily decreasing over time. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't high-ticket courses out there and high-ticket information products that sell and that still sell well, it's just that we see that there are fewer of them today than there were in the past. Now, I know back in the late 1990s, one info product seller was selling 
like an 80-page PDF file for around $1,000. And he was doing that successfully for about three years, and then he stopped selling them. And instead, he started creating courses. And he said that by 2003, the return rate on a $1,000 PDF was starting to get astronomical, almost 50% on the return rate. So he had to figure out a way to create a type of experience that the buyer would find more valuable. Now, for example, we could create an information product teaching someone how to build a multi-million dollar a year business or anything that we have knowledge about. Let's put it that way. But that doesn't guarantee that the person is going to be able to take that information within their own experience and duplicate it. Everybody knows that now. It's just like saying that, you know, I came to the West back in the day and I was here during the original gold rush and we struck gold and now, you know, we've built our empire and we're selling the axes and the shovels to a new generation of gold miners. Well, you know, they may use the same pickaxes that we use. They may use the, you know, we may be selling better shovels today than we sold back in the day or that we used back in the day. But the point of the matter is this is a different time now. The gold that was once in the ground has long been unearthed and has long been put into use by the previous generation. So I think when I look at some of these businesses that are starting to close up shop that have been around for 10, 15 uh, years or longer, I think that there's a few things in play here. I think that, and, and here's something else, let me just throw this in there. If you had a list of, let's say, 20 or 30,000 subscribers back in 2010, do you think it would be reasonable to say that you could probably teach them everything that you know within, I don't know, five years? I mean, if you went to a university anywhere, do you think that if you sat in a professor's class for five years, you would be able to basically get every bit of head knowledge that that person had? I'm Probably not every bit because that person would have experiences that you don't, but you're going to basically get whatever it is that they have to give you. You'll get all the foundational parts of your education. And then you're going to have to take that and have your own experiences. And, and that's really the way it is with any type of information that we buy. I've been buying information type products for the last, well, I don't even know how many years. Since I've been an adult, I've been buying information based products. And I have to be honest, sometimes I buy them today just for reading purposes. Sometimes it's enjoyable just reading about the experiences of others, comparing those experiences with your experiences. It's better than reading fiction. But with that in mind, you know, I could see why the profit margins of somebody who has been in the information marketing business for that many years to, I mean, 20,000 people, again, if they've been with you for a decade, then you're probably going to have to find 20,000 new people going forward into the next decade because the, the people that you had in the past are either going to move on because they already know what you know or they've already started their own businesses so they don't have to go back into the you know your classroom again. Do you get what I'm saying? And so I can see why certain businesses do have a certain lifespan. They can last for so long because just like a school, imagine that you could look at a school in any neighborhood here in, oh, let me just use the U.S. because this is where I live. I'll use Florida because this is where I am. And every year it seems like there's a new group of young children who are starting school. Every year there is a new group of teenagers who are finishing high school and moving on to 
college. And that just happens year after year after year. But what would happen if there were no young kids in this area anymore? Well, then I guess the schools would close up. I believe that, especially now when we talk about something like ChatGPT, that the value of information is going to continue to, as far as the price points go, decline. I don't know what the what the ceiling is, and I'm not saying that you won't be able to sell premium type of information. I'm just saying it's going to be more difficult going forward because if you can get the same information that you would get in a high-end course for a low-end price ticket, why would you spend your money on the big ticket item? Well, it would have to have something in it that the information itself couldn't provide you. So maybe it's one-on-one training or maybe it's being part of a group. And so you can see why online course platforms became as popular as they did over the years because originally all that information back in the 90s and the early 2000s was more or less packaged into a series of PDFs and people would download them. But after a while, that value was kind of capped and people weren't willing to spend $1,000 on an 80-page PDF anymore. So, all right, let's talk about one of the other things. I was looking at some of these older businesses and one of the other things that I noticed And I hate to put this out there, but I'm going to anyway because I'm not naming names. So the actual websites that represented these brands and these businesses, I can't say it any other nicer way, but they definitely had a dated look to them. Older types of website design, something that looks like it could have been easily put together in you know front page 98 or something like that and i know that there's only so many ways i can say i don't mean this to be insulting some people would be insulted anyway but when you have an outdated website design it does most definitely give a negative impression i remember one person that i really loved their information and their website looked like a just a plain sales letter but it was written in times new roman had a white background to it had a logo that looked like it was from one of those cheap logo where you buy like 10,000 logos for 10 bucks on a Fiverr deal. And it was pasted up in the, in the corner. It just The whole feel of the website was just not there. And the person that was selling the information at the time uh, lived in a house that looked like a castle. And I know that it was his house, definitely, because I did my research. I contacted the guy. I talked to him. I got to know him personally, and but for whatever reason, he didn't want to hire a professional to put his website together. And I learned years later, or at least this is the, the gist of the story, was that he made his money in earlier times, had sort of retired, came out of retirement when cash got a little tight and was you know, kind of like riding things out to the end life-wise. And so, you know, he didn't have the money. He didn't have the cash flow that he wanted to invest in it. So he put a simple site together. He was selling high-end information. And it got to the point where people stopped buying from him. And I was able to sell his information more successfully than he was. I became a reseller for him. He had an excellent product. It's just that his website design actually got in the way of it. So I had to explain to people hey, you know, it just has a simple site that's put up there. He's not a designer. I had to explain all of these things so that by the time they got to the page, it wasn't a turnoff for him. 
Fast forward today, a user experience is important. If you have an outdated looking website design, it leaves people with a negative impression. It creates a poor experience. These things matter because the bar is set higher today in competitive marketplaces, much higher than in the past. And if we look at marketplaces as a whole, all of them have grown and matured. Now, I'm not talking about a fancier design versus a plainer design. There are all kinds of styles that fit within the current spectrum. I'm talking about current versus dated. And as I've said in the past, there are so many great looking options out there when it comes to website design templates today. If that's your challenge, you don't need a larger budget to find your solution. All right, let's move on. When you think about people who have yet to discover your business, prospects, prospective customers and clients, consider what these individuals have been experiencing over the past, let's say five years even. If you're looking to bring new individuals on board, if you're looking to connect, consider the roads these individuals have already traveled. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, many of them have already bought the books, they've taken the courses, they've bought the software. So what brings them to your doorstep? Obviously, if they found what they were looking for already, they wouldn't be there. So for the sake of time, let's just sum it up. I'm gonna make a general statement. I'm going to say, they're at your door because they haven't gotten results yet. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't get results. Do you think the answer is they need more information because there's just not enough information out there to help them? No, absolutely not. If anything, there's too much information out there, which is part of the problem. And as a result, they too now place a lower value on information alone than they did in the past. This is one of the reasons why online communities, accountability partners, coaches have become popular over time. But ultimately, not even these things can replace the fact that you'll have to motivate yourself to keep on keeping on when the resistance comes and when success continues to be seemingly out of reach. There's no getting around the fact that people need a kind of internal toughness and strength. And unfortunately, that's usually only developed when you're in the midst of life's tests and trials. But a quick story, a friend of mine, unfortunately, he's passed away now, but uh, his name was Joe Fisher. He moved here to the United States from, I believe, London or somewhere close to London back in the 1990s. And his father owned a company that sold paper sticks, you know, the kind that you find on lollipops and Q-tips, things like that. So he came over here to the United States and he set up shop somewhere in the Carolinas making paper sticks. I forget which one, North or South Carolina, but he told me this story a long time ago. Anyway, he got to the point where he was starting everything up and he was really struggling. Now, it just so happens that he was also the engineer who created the modern paper stick machine. This is the machine that actually cranks out these little sticks. And uh, when he told me this story, he was showing me a part of the machine that he had stored in one of his garages. And I mean, this thing was a monster. And that was just basically probably one-fifth of the total machine. But anyway, he re redesigned the um, machine so that it would create the sticks faster than the previous design had. And doing these designs, creating the designs were very expensive. Back then it cost about $40,000 just to get the prototype ready. And if the prototype failed, then you were still at least another $40,000 away from the finished product. But his ability to produce X number of paper sticks within an hour shot up dramatically 
when he got the new design to work twice as fast or maybe even faster than that. So let's just say for the sake of the story that he could produce almost twice as many in the same amount of time using his new design. So he thought he had an advantage being able to do this that he needed to break into the market here in the U.S. and to secure some big contracts with companies like Charms. Charms is the company that manufactures the the blow pops. You know, it's a lollipop with gum on the inside. I don't know if kids still like those or not, but I heard it's still popular. Or Unilever, that's the company that owns the Q-tip brand, cotton swabs. I believe that the paper sticks sold back then, if I remember correctly, for about $14 or $15 a case. So he decided to drop the price, his price, a few dollars. But there weren't any takers. So he was down to $12, and he still wasn't fulfilling enough orders to be profitable. There weren't any takers, so he dropped the price down again to $11, and still no takers, and then $10. And finally, he was nearing bankruptcy, and everything was just caving in around him. Finances, business, nothing was going right. And he was wondering if you know nothing that he was going to do would ever save his business. So he just decided to drop the price once again. And I believe the final price was about $9 a case. I could be off a dollar in either direction, but you get the point. Now, it was the final price drop that caused the dam to break. After that, he told me the orders just came flooding in from big companies. So a year later, he was out of the financial hole. A year after that, I think he was $2 million, about $2 million in profits. I think he doubled that a year after that and almost doubled it again the year after that. Everything was great until his chief competitor moved his entire operation out of the United States into Mexico, where cheap labor enabled him to tilt the advantage back in his favor. So, you know, the moral of the story is this. If you're valuing your product like Joe did, at let's say $15 a case, so to speak, but the market doesn't agree with that price point, then where are you? Now, we're talking about the price points in 2023, not 2022, not 2021. And I know when we're going through one year to the next, especially if you're a little older, especially if you're over 30, it may seem like it's kind of a blur. The next thing you know, we were in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 announced 2023. And you're thinking, has that much changed? But from your vantage point, you may be seeing things differently than your market does. Your market may be looking at what you're doing and how you're pricing it and come to a completely different conclusion. Now, Joe got rich because he dropped his price about 40% when you get right down to it. But he made up for the loss in the profit margin by selling volume. Now I'm telling you this story because the magic here isn't in the percentage. It isn't even in the marketing. This is business 101 where the market decides the value. We place an initial value on what we're doing and what we're selling, but the market can either agree or disagree. And in Joe's case, the machine made it possible for him to do what he did. Now, some people may not be able to drop their prices percentage-wise as much as he did and still remain in business. Obviously, 
Joe's competitor is an example of that. He had to move his entire operation out of the United States where the overhead is higher into a different country. Now, you know, you, we're talking about online business here, but the principles do not change. The principles are universal. And he told me that at the time when he did this, his final price drop, he didn't think that it would do anything, really. He just thought it was a last-ditch effort to possibly sell a few more cases and push bankruptcy off a little further into the future, but that he would probably eventually have to close up shop. When the, his U.S. competitor moved to Mexico in order to survive, the whole dynamic started over again. So I get it. You're in a crowded marketplace. You're looking at what you're doing. And there was a time where in most markets, it was just as easy to sell a $100 product as it was a $10 product. And as far as marketing energy goes and focus and effort, we could argue that the same amount goes into selling $10 products, $100 products, $1,000 products, and so on. We're creating content. You're out there promoting. You're doing whatever. It all requires from an online perspective, the same amount of focused energy as far as the marketing goes. But let me ask this question. We're in 2023 now. What if it's going to be 10 times easier to sell, for example, two $50 products in order to make $100 than it will selling a single $100 one? Now, I know most people refuse to see it that way. That's why we see the prices being bumped all the time. But if you do the math, you have multiple paths to the same outcome. So if you're looking at 50,000 a year, 100,000 a year or more, then the math determines what type of strategy it is that you're going to use. So if you're going to do, do lower price products, you have to sell more units. If you have to sell more units, then you need access to more people and you need access more affordably. In other words, you can't pay for that access because there's not enough profit margin per sale unless you're selling tens of thousands of units. But you, you get what I'm saying. The math can work on the high end, it can work on the low end, and it can work in the middle. But it all depends on how your market sees whatever it is that you're presenting to them. Does that make sense? The more of anything that we have, the more it becomes commoditized. But this isn't something new, of course. This has always been the nature of business. Let me give you an example. Let's consider the news media as a great example of this. When you get right down to it, the news is a type of information product. There are certain stations and shows that lose viewership over time, and yet they have the best equipment, they have top writers and editors, but they still don't succeed. And in the case of news and media outlets, it's a very competitive market. Now, there are YouTubers today who get more views and viewers than some primetime TV shows. And I'm just bringing all of this up because it's very easy to be hard on yourself if something isn't working out with your business plan. People think that they're missing something, like if I could only write better or if I only had better equipment or better graphics or the list can be endless. But News is just one example of how a competitive marketplace works when it's oversaturated. However, in the case of big media, they also have a substantial overhead and they have salaries to cover on both sides of the camera, on the front side and on the back side. So if you do compare yourself with something like that, realize that the advantage you have is that at least on paper, you should be able to stay in the game longer 
because as a small business owner, you have the ability, even if you're in a super competitive niche, to keep your overhead to the minimal. But when all is said and done, really, it's still up to you to decide whether it's best to adjust your pricing to how it's valued in today's market and stay in that market and continue to compete, or whether it makes more sense to change things up and focus your time and energy in a different market altogether. For those of you who don't know, I came out of the world of paper and ink publishing, and just as I was really getting into it, just on the base of getting established, I met people who were getting out. And when they helped me see why, I couldn't unsee it as much as part of me really wanted to. It's something about how we view things that are happening in the world, the take that we have. Sometimes we don't see certain things because we don't want to see them. Well, that almost happened to me. Fortunately, there were people there that helped me see through the clouds and see things for as they really were. And as the profitability in that business model and marketplace died, honestly, it felt like a part of me was dying with it at the time. And as a result, I had to reinvent myself. It wasn't the end of the world. Everything didn't come to a complete halt, even though that there were times, hours on end, where my mind was sort of telling me, this is it, there's nowhere to go. You know, men tend to tie their identities, their value, their self-worth, whatever you want to call it, to whatever it is they're doing, especially if they're entrepreneurs. And when things go sideways, and they lose that, it's like a piece of them goes with it until they can find a replacement. And that's one of the things I had to get past. You know, today I value the relationships that I have, family, friends, extended friendships, online friendships, more than the work itself, because I find that the meaning in those things is lasting. And I've come to see the change and challenges that we face as entrepreneurs and more specifically as online ones as the norm. And adjusting is much easier than it's been in the past because I'm able to anticipate it now. All right, I think that's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope some of these thoughts have helped you, maybe put things in a better perspective. If you think it'll help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you are. Or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Back episodes are available there as well. Thanks again for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you later.
Mm-hmm.